Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. And it's not like continuous. If there was like a long string of like high bars, right? then it would be... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, it wasn't coming through a lot, but I just I noticed occasionally there was spikes, and just so I wasn't sure. One or know. two peaks. Yeah. Here why? And there, which is yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nothing to worry about there. Cool. Anyway, we're just uh, we're gonna make this uh, you know part of our intro, and we're just uh, gonna go right into things. Okay. Hello. Hello. I am Jason. This is George. Hello. We are homebrewers, and this is a show that we like to call "It's a Nice Place to Brew." Uh, we uh, we have been at the uh, brew game for a little mo- uh, a little over six months now. Um, we are just normal everyday guys that uh, love beer and have taken the uh, love of beer to uh, brewing and understanding the art and science of uh, brewing. And uh, this show is going to be one where we're going to talk about every facet of that. So uh, welcome every uh, first time listener, which is all of you, because this is the uh, pilot episode. Thank you so much for joining us, whether you're on iTunes or Stitcher or uh, any other uh, any other medium that we're uh, reaching out to. Um, throughout the uh, course of uh, this show and uh, in uh, future episodes, we're going to talk about uh, beers that we enjoy drinking, beers that we recently drank. We're going to talk about uh, our uh, uh, recipes that uh, that we're uh, that we're making, and we're also going to talk about uh, brewing tips that we've. Uh, come across uh, throughout uh, throughout our process of, uh, of brewing okay um, I suppose okay I, I meant to <laughs> mention this earlier um, in this uh, in this point where we're uh, recording this show which is April 2015 in uh, in the Chicagoland area uh, George and I are on a uh, schedule right now where it's uh, uh, one brew per month and, yes. uh, and, w- and through this one brew per month, we are uh, g- uh, gaining a knowledge of many different, uh, different blends, find out uh, what we like and uh, what uh, we don't like so much. And uh, that's, that's kind of our learning curve. So uh, yes, uh, this, uh, this month's uh, brew will be a, uh, is, a, uh, is a wheat ale, which we'll uh, talk about in, uh, in Act 2. And uh, first, we're, uh, we're going to talk about uh, recent beers that, uh, that we've drank. But uh, anyways, I'm talking way too much. No, I'd, like to introduce, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, George, who really is the, uh, is the brains behind uh, the, the brewing so far. And uh, we've discovered many uh, great beers together and uh, brewed some good ones, too. So this is, this is going uh, to be fun doing these shows, for sure. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I've just been trying to put together some recipes, get us... Uh, <clears throat> ideas that we can put forward and try to put into some competitions and see what we like you know like like jason said we're trying to do one brew a month every month this year Uh, and in 2016 i think we were going to get dedicate to refining and picking a few that we like and brewing them over and over again until we find a way that we like to do it that is um you know kind of the perfect version of that brew so that's that's our plan right now yep 
And this is going to be interesting because this show, th- this show is really going to going to kind of um, chronicalize the uh, the uh, the efforts that we're making uh, this year to get to that point where we're refining our uh, recipes that we're that we're doing right now next year and uh, really working towards the. Uh, the uh, the best brews that uh, that, that we can uh, that we can make and uh, hopefully uh, just making uh, making many leaps forward. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we started this I think uh, the same the same way any uh, any uh, brewer or brew team uh, starts off. Um, we like beer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, many many people would share that opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> many people many people like beer. Absolutely no sense in brewing beer if you don't like to drink beer. Exactly. And, you know, let's face it. Who doesn't like drinking beer? You know? Wrong people. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Whether you're uh, in a bar, whether you're at a party, whether you're at at home with friends, whatever, you know, whatever whatever the occasion, you know, a a beer is, is is a great drink. And there's uh, there's there's varieties out there for for whatever your taste is. Uh, and there's uh, if there isn't a flavor out there uh, readily available, chances are there's a uh, there's a home brewer out there or a group like uh, like some of the people that we know that are that are working on these unique recipes to to satisfy that uh, that uh, that taste that nobody's uh, no nobody's found yet. We've come across some interesting recipes: uh, chocolate peanut butter, uh, yeah. blueberry. Uh, Malorts. <laughs> He's laughing because we that's had... A, that's a great poll, yes. <laughs> the worst liqueur that this world has ever known, and somebody thought it'd be a good idea to brew a beer in its flavor. Yes. <laughs> Don't know why. It was a mistake. But... <laughs> That's not a bad thing. You make mistakes when you brew. You just don't do that again. Exactly. <laughs> so hopefully they're not doing a repeat batch of the Malort's. No, hopefully Malort's, not. Malort's batch. I guess we'll uh, keep going to that brew club and uh, we'll wait and see, though. Anyway, uh, we're going to go into uh, the, the way the, the way that our shows are going to be structured. We're going to talk about past, present, and future. Past being the uh, beers that we had uh, over the over the last uh, last few weeks that uh, may have had an impact on us. Uh, the present, where we'll talk about our uh, most recent recipe, and future, where we're going to talk about um, uh, some tips that uh, any home brewer can kind of apply to what they're doing to to their brews, or uh, or may uh, uh, may apply to a, to a to a later one. Uh, there's a plethora of topics out there that uh, that we can uh, talk about and will be uh, will be talked about on uh, shows in the future. And uh, with that, we're just we're going to segue right into uh, past and talk about uh, three recent beers that uh, that we had and uh and what uh, what our thought was uh george you want to start off uh with uh, your first one sure um so one of the first ones that i that i had this uh this past month was one called hop tweet hop tweet hop tweet is this was was at emmett's ale house and it's one that they brew on site there it is a wheat beer which you do don't normally find to be hoppy they're usually pretty mellow beers but this one is a little bit more a little bit more hoppy a little bit outside of the general guidelines of of the wheat beers um but it's very clean very crisp and you do get a little bit of hop and citrus characters from it which is really nice so that's one i would highly recommend if anyone is in the chicagoland area stop by emmett's and and have one of those 
we are we're very much uh, fans of Emmett's. Um, their brews on on uh, on tap, which are uh, brewed right there on site, are fantastic. Their uh, their their staff has been great to us, and they've uh, they've been a source of education for us too. So we. Uh, we enjoy Emmett's a lot. Um, about that beer specifically, George, uh, are you? Do you consider yourself a kind of a wheat ale fan? Is that kind of a go-to for you? Uh, it's not been lately. However, with the experiences that we've had brewing our own wheat, and with uh, me trying to branch out into different styles, is one that I've found that uh, I can enjoy and is more of a session beer for me. Um, meaning that you can drink a couple of them at a time. Uh, they tend to be a little bit less strong in alcohol content true, and uh, a little bit more easy drinking. So it's not something that you have to worry about getting slammed on it right away. It's something you can drink a little bit slower or, you know, and, and at a good pace with, with friends while, while talking at a party or something like that. So it's, it's something that I've really kind of grown a little bit of accustomed to. That's a great point, too, because there's definitely certain beers that are good for kind of keeping a even pace, and there's ones that aren't that aren't quite that quite that at all because they're much stronger beers and the effect will be felt uh, felt much quicker than than some others. Uh, I think it's I think it's positive to to put uh, wheat uh, wheat beer in that category, one where you can have a couple of them still still be in uh, kind of good standing the taste is good and uh yeah. you know it's a it's a good uh kind of kind of social drink for uh for for kind of a long uh long afternoon or long long evening with friends yeah the the, the go-to for a session beer that a lot of people think of is like your Coors Light or Miller Light or you know your Pilsners and Lagers right. and things like that but right. it doesn't have to be you can you can still get you know a little bit fuller body beer and you can have uh you know sometimes a little bit more flavor okay than you would normally find in those and still be you know functional as a person throughout the night that can be that can be important too (laughs) that's very good yeah very good so what was that called again that was called a hop tweet hop tweet yes hop tweet at emmett's uh emmett's brewery in uh in downers grove yeah Okay, uh, my first beer is going to be one from the uh, same brewery from uh, Emmett's and Downers Grove. This is called the 1 a.m. Ale. I had uh, had this for the first time uh, this past uh, Friday. Um, myself, George, and a couple friends were uh, were there having a couple beers and watching a hockey game. And um, this was a great beer for the uh, atmosphere and uh, and just uh, and for uh, just kind of kind of the occasion. The 1 a.m. ale is a is a light is a light beer uh, brewed uh, right there on site. A couple things I had written down about it: um, it's not overly hoppy, um, almost kind of pilsner esque. I'm not sure if it fits in the exact category of a pilsner, but it's very close. Um, it's not overly strong. Uh, fits kind of the characteristics that Jordan mentioned about the wheat beer, where um, it's a beer that you could uh, drink a fair amount of and not. Uh, not uh, not feel too overwhelmed about it, and it's also not filling at all. Um, uh, having a twenty ounce glass of it, uh, of this was not uh, that impactful, and uh, and the flavor was good. It was a good uh, good light color. Uh, taste was good. Um, all in all, I would call it uh, a solid light beer um, that uh, that'll be uh, worth drinking and, and worth uh, worth having more. It's it's really what uh, what anyone anyone would uh, would look for in a light beer. Good. Yeah. yeah. 
So um, that one, I believe, was on the Nitro Tap, wasn't it? It was. It was. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk more about uh, Nitro Tap when we get to get to my uh, my my third beer. I'm, sa- okay. I'm saving the best for you. Saving for the best for saving last. the best for last uh, on purpose here because I've got okay. a real good one to to catch at the end here. Okay. Um, then my next one was actually one I encountered when uh, occasionally I travel up to Minnesota. Minnesota. And okay. So I was just right. outside of uh, Minneapolis, and I encountered a, a beer called Summit Extra Pale Ale. And uh, it's kind of a regional beer brewed outside of Minnesota, outside of Minneapolis, rather. And uh, so this is an EPA. So it was a, a much lighter beer, a little bit of, a little bit hoppier because it is, you know, pale ale. And um, and it was it was very good, very smooth. Um, it was the perfect kind of thing. We were doing a, a happy hour with a couple of the people up there. And so it was low alcohol content, but it, you know, was very smooth and was a good, again, session beer for, for that occasion. So that's, that's an interesting response. I mean, cause I just heard the title of extra pale ale uh-huh. and where my brain instinctively goes to is this must be a very hoppy beer that would almost kind of be slightly overwhelming to the, at least the initial taste. The extra pale ale is not as hoppy as say an India pale ale. Okay. So the hop characteristics were there, but it wasn't as overpowering as you sometimes get with an IPA. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. And is this, uh, can you find this outside of the Minnesota area? Uh, like I said, it's a little bit regional right now. Okay. So you can find it outside of Minnesota, but uh, it, it's going to be in kind of that, tri-state's the wrong word, but you know, kind of that whole regional area. So if you're in the Midwest, especially <laughs> the upper Midwest, you know, take a look for it and you should be able to find it. And in this, uh, in the location where we're uh, recording this episode right now, which is uh, Northern Illinois, um, I guess uh, look out for uh, look yeah. out for this one. Yeah, we might be able uh, to find it. Not too far it. down yeah. the way, we could uh, we could see this uh, in the near future. I'll look forward to it. <laughs> okay, uh, next one uh, again from uh, Emmett's Brewery in uh, in Downers Grove. They have a uh, Irish Stout on uh, on their uh, on their tap, which I had this past Friday. I will preface this by saying I am very much a Irish Stout uh, fan. It is uh, is one of my go-tos as far as uh, beer drinking. I do enjoy a good uh, a good dark beer, uh, one that's uh, one that's kind of full-bodied and uh, has a lot of flavor to it. Is uh, really to me that's that's where a lot of the a uh, lot of the best beers are. It's uh, my taste buds are changing. As I'm trying more beers and uh, and brewing different beers, but uh, for a very long time now, Irish Stout has really been uh, been my go-to, and is uh, I, I, one I, I can't imagine uh, I'm gonna ever veer too too far away from. Uh, as far as the uh, Irish Stout on the uh, Emmett's tap, um, a couple notes I have here: uh, the uh, the color was exactly what you'd expect uh, from a stout. Um, the pour was clean. There was uh, not a tremendous amount of uh, head on tap, as you as you get with overly carbonated beers. Um, unfortunately, I, I have to admit this one was a bit of a letdown. Oh. And I, and it's it, it it I struggled to uh, to say that about a bre- about a brewery in Emmett's that I like so much about a style that uh, that I like so much as the Irish Stout. This one just didn't hit home for me. I found this one to be a little bit flat, okay, and um, 
I just, in my opinion, I think Emmett's has uh, has better beers on their taps, and this one just, yeah, Didn't not impress. not not, uh, not one to drink a couple of. Okay, so. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it, first of all, I should mention that we are not sponsored by Emmett's. <laughs> it is our local. Yet. It is our local brewery, <laughs> so we do tend to frequent it a lot. But you know, they do have the occasional miss there. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my last one actually comes from a place that is not doing distribution yet. Uh, however, if you are in the Chicago land area. There's a place in Plainfield called Chicago Brew Works. And we, are, we are big fans. We are big fans. It's actually where we get all of our ingredients. Yep. And they uh, they they brew on site as well. So um, occasionally we'll stop by the bar there and get something. And that is very cool that they that they're an entire ingredients and uh, and materials uh, resource for the entire homebrew community here in the here in Chicagoland. And they also brew on site, and they have uh, have their own bar right uh, right on location, yep. right right in the middle of uh, of where you're picking everything up. Yeah. So uh, just within a matter of steps, you can get all your ingredients you need for uh, for a brew, and uh, before you leave, you can have one too. Yeah. Just be careful because <laughs> if you go there and you say, "Give me a flight," you know, which is one of everything. Be aware that on average they have about eight beers on tap. And each one of those is a five ounce pour, so eight times five is forty, 40 ounces. ounces. So <laughs> just be aware that you're asking for forty ounces of beer if you ask for a flight there. But can become a full afternoon very quickly, and it has. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the the one that I had when I was there was the don't tread on wheat, and um, and this I thought was really good. Uh, it was a very, very good, um, let's see, the characteristics of it were perfect for what a wheat should be. Um, there, when Jason and I tried it, there weren't, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of standout flavor in it. Uh, so you're not going to get blown away by, wow, this is flavorful, super nuanced or anything like that. What it was, was a very clean, very good palate of a beer so if you wanted to try something like adding a spice or adding a fruit note to it or anything like that this is a good base for that it's an absolutely great base for that okay so okay. that that's why i thought it was a, a a really good beer uh there are other ones there that i would like better um but that's one that i thought for the for the style and for the character that you'd be looking for in a wheat beer was a really good standout uh, version of it that's great. Yeah, that's great. And and being a place that uh, that we frequent and it has been a great resource for us. It's uh, it's uh, great to be able to report that they've got uh, great beers right there on site. I can, I'll be the one editing this, so I can uh, I can at least soften that and make myself look less dumb. <laughs> <laughs> La- uh, saving the best for last. I had a beer at uh, Emmett's. Uh, it's. Uh, not on their menu currently, but was as of the last couple of weeks. This is on their menu uh, as uh, under the title of the Rafferty Red Ale on their uh, on their Nitro Tap. 
Now, up until uh, having this, I've seen the term uh, nitro tap uh, thrown around in bars and, and just uh, through conversations with people and never really paid too much attention, didn't really know kind of the difference between uh, nitro and, uh, and non-nitro. Um, this one night being out at Emmett's with George, uh, again, where uh, we were uh, watching a hockey game and uh, enjoying some of their brews, uh, this... Uh, this served as my education for what uh, for what nitro is and uh, and what the uh, what the difference is with uh, with a normal uh, carbon dioxide um, uh, tap. Rafferty Red is a slightly hoppy uh, red ale. Um, you can see the the red in the color. Um, it's hoppy but not overly uh, overly hoppy. And the difference with this was this not being on a regular carbon dioxide uh, tap, the uh, nitro tap. Uh, you can tell the difference uh, in a couple of ways. A carbon dioxide tap, um, which is much more common than a nitro, will leave uh, will produce a much more bubbly liquid, and uh, to the uh, to the initial taste, what you're what you're going to feel is kind of a prickly uh, type of effect uh, across your mouth, uh, and really kind of stays there as as it's going down. Uh, not really a negative thing, but it's just kind of just one of the common characteristics of it. Um, a nitro tank will produce uh, much less uh, m much less carbonation. The bubbles in the glass will be uh, much lighter, and you're not going to have the prickly feeling uh, through drinking it. It's going to be a much uh, much smoother drink, uh, much more drinkable in my opinion. Um, and uh, the nitro tap made this Rafferty Red Ale a fantastic drink in my opinion. Uh, throughout the course of a hockey game, I ended up uh, drinking three different 20 ounce glasses. Of this beer, um, uh, I was feeling pretty good afterwards. Um, but uh, just the smoothness and just the uh, just just the great characteristics and just uh, just enjoyed it overall. Just just made it feel like it was uh, it was nothing at all at all. So uh, lesson learned. Um, so for anyone listening, I guess the advice I would give not only uh, not only that the Rafferty Red is a great beer. But uh, next time you go to your uh, local brew, uh, uh, sorry, next time you go to your local bar, and uh, and uh, see what's on tap, uh, one question worth asking is what's on the nitro tap. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a question worth asking, and chances are whatever is on that nitro tap, uh, you will be pleased with. It's uh, it's kind of a new thing. Uh, it's kind of been a little bit of a trend lately, and you'll. Right now, you'll probably only find it at a local, like, especially a brew house where they brew their own beer there, or a or someone that specializes in gra craft beers. Okay, um, that's good. To, I, I'm actually yeah. learning this for the first time. This, yeah, this is this is good to know. Your your larger bars and your more commercial bars are probably not going to have it yet. I see that probably changing because on the craft beer scene, it's a huge thing. You know, putting things on nitro, it showed up, you know, a little while ago, and it just has taken off in ways that we can, I, I wouldn't have believed would be true. The effect is fantastic. It really is. I mean, without that prickly uh, feeling, it, it's, I mean, the drinking experience is, is very different. And yeah. In my opinion, very much more enjoyable. So, we learned something, actually, about nitro and having something on a nitro tap. Yes. When we were at the... At Brewworks because they had they have one of them there on Nitro, right? Yes, they do. Yeah. Yes, they so, do. Um, okay. So what we what we actually encountered was that it's not one hundred percent nitrogen that they're putting in there. 
because apparently that would be crazy expensive to do. So what they do is they have something called beer air, which is a mixture of nitrogen and CO2. So it's about, 40, if I remember correctly, it's about 40% nitrogen to about 60% CO2. But that's enough that it changes the characteristic of the beer and gives you those kinds of elements that Jason was talking about with the different tone of the of the carbonation and things like that. So, and there's just enough CO2 in it that it can still carbonate uh, the beverage, just like uh, just like normal uh, a normal CO2 tank would be expected when right. connected with a beer. For sure. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. So that's uh, that's uh, most uh, the the most recent. Uh, beers of the uh, most recent past that uh, that kind of made an impact on us uh, we will uh, have more in uh, in future episodes yes absolutely. we are going to now uh, take a quick break we're going to uh, segue into uh, the most uh, the most recent uh, recipe that we uh, that we have brewed which is uh, in our secondary fermenter right now this is a, a wheat beer in preparation for summertime uh, with the flavoring of uh, pomegranates yeah. we're going to talk about every uh, every aspect of uh, of how we uh, how we made this kind of the decisions uh, that, that we made and uh, and the uh, decision to go with the uh, pomegranate and uh, we'll get into that uh, right when we come back this thing on <laughs> I think it is what's this beer we got here George this is kind of fantastic this is a Belgian triple this is ours it is yeah this was a learning experience for us we did this as an extract and we did it as an all grain and it's pretty fantastic as an all grain yeah absolutely <laughs> anyways welcome back this is uh, it's an uh I'm going to remember the name of my own show. <laughs> Let's try this again. Welcome back. It's a uh, nice place to brew. And we are enjoying a uh, Belgian triple. We are in Darien, Illinois. It is a nice place to brew. And like the town name says, it's a nice place to live, too. I kind of agree because I live here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess the jury's out on that. <laughs> But it is a nice place to brew, and uh, we uh, we thank you for joining us on our uh, adventures of uh, beer, uh, beer drinking, and beer making. We are uh, segueing into our uh, second part of our show, where we're going to talk about our most recent episode. Uh, I'm sorry, we're going to talk about our most recent uh, recipe. It uh, is uh, in our secondary fermenter right now. It's a uh, wheat ale. Uh, George, yeah, let's talk about kind of the uh, inspiration of kind of how this uh, how this kind of came about, where you decided to do a, a wheat beer. So it all started with blueberries. We, uh, Jason came to me with an idea and said that someone told him that we should make a blueberry beer. And we looked into that, and it turns out making a blueberry beer is just this side of impossible because blueberries are such a subtle flavor that you need something that, you know, just has no added flavor to it so the blueberries will stand out at all. Um... So as we were looking into it, we were looking at what beers are going to be able to take on fruit flavors the best. One of the things that stood out to us was wheat beers. And so we decided, let's make a wheat beer. Let's make a, a beer that we can add a little bit of fruit character to and have it be um, something that's not going to be overly strong or, or destroying to the palate. 
So, like I said, we decided on a wheat beer. We named it Make Like a Tree in Wheat. And uh, I still love that title. <laughs> Make Like a Tree in Wheat. Yep. And and so we made we made the beer. And so one of the, so we should talk about some of the ingredients that we put into it. We should. Okay. So we put and this should be of no surprise, we put wheat in it. Uh, it we used a white malt wheat. Uh, we put pale ale uh, from Dingamins into it. Uh, and then another one called Kara 8. Kara 8 is a caramel wheat. It adds a little bit of color to it, not overly so. It doesn't add a little bit of a, a lot of flavor or body to it, but just adds a little bit of color to it so it's not completely clear when you're drinking it. Um, the other thing we had to add to it, and this is something that I think is the most interesting part about this wheat beer, is we added rice hulls. Yes, this was a first for us, and, yeah. the, and the effect of rice hulls is really unique in the brewing process. Sure. So wheat has gluten in it, and it has other agents like that that are binding. So the in when you're brewing all grain, there's a process called mashing, which we'll get into in another episode. And when you're mashing the beer, uh, there's a tendency, because of all that gluten and binding agents in the wheat, to make the fluid gummy and to gum up the work so you can't actually get the water out for to, to brew your beer. So what you do to try to counteract that is you add rice hulls to the mixture. So rice hulls are literally the shells of rice. So they're the outside of the rice and the, the, it's, it's just a bunch of shells that you throw in with the rest of the grains and it absorbs some of those proteins and such that are extruded from the grain from the wheat because of those glutens and things like that so it, the rice hulls absorb those and what it leaves behind is liquid and the liquid is able to come out like a normal mash would and you're still able to get your wort and it doesn't affect the flavor it doesn't anything like that it just decreases the amount of gluten that's present in the brew and just to add, add a point to that, it, it just allows the, uh, the mash to do what, uh, what it really is there to do, which is to soak the grains and extract all the good sugars from yes. that, which creates a nice sugar-filled liquid, which is referred in this stage uh, as wort. Right. Which is later fermented, and throughout the, uh, the fermentation process is where you get your beer. Right. So that process with the right with the rice hulls becomes very important because that uh, that protein mixture would interfere with that uh, with that uh, extraction of the sugars, which is so which is so vital within the mash process. Right. So then we decided when we got it into the wort stage and we put it on our burner, um, we decided to go with a ninety minute boil. Yes, so we, we did. boiled this for ninety minutes, which is about thirty minutes longer than we usually do. And and just to kind of uh, put a context around this, the ninety minute boil was a last minute decision, and it was made um, uh, it was made based on a number of factors. We had completed the mash. Um, the mash did you know everything that uh, that we expected it to. I believe our original gravity, I think, was a little bit lower than. Uh, than we had expected is that is that correct? well the pre-boil or the original the the, the uh 
uh, yeah, the pre-boil. Pre-boil gravity was a little lower than we expected. Right, right. We had uh, we saw we looked in our brew pot and knowing that we were making a five-gallon uh, uh, re- uh, recipe, um, it looked like we had a slightly thinner, uh, more watery base than uh, than we had uh, kind of expected it to. And the decision to go for a 90-minute boil versus a 60-minute boil was an idea that may combat some of those possibly adverse effects of, uh, of what we were seeing. Right. And um, I guess uh, we've, uh, we're still in the fermentation process, so we'll see if that, uh, that was a, uh, turned out to be a good decision or not. Yeah, but I've, it was... I've cheated a little bit, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> So, uh, so I'm, you, I'm hearing this for the first time. <laughs> My brew partner is. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a good thing. Trust me. So yes, yes, it is. We decided to go with a 90 minute boil, um, and and for a lot of reasons I will get into later about gravity and things like that. It turned out to be a fantastic decision. Um, but one of uh, so during the boil we had to add hops to the mixture to get the the hop characteristics. You know, as subtle as they are. We wanted to make sure they were in there, so we added up, ended up adding tethering and cascade to the mixture at different points in order to get that that those flavors in there. Now, just as a point of comparison, we have used up to four, maybe even five different uh, hop characteristics in uh, in batches before. Yeah. So to to use only two different uh, varieties of of hops is a pretty low amount. And yeah. the effect of that is you're not going to have a very bitter. You're going to have a smooth, um, sometimes sweet. Sometimes yes, sometimes uh, sometimes a sweet uh, finished product. Yeah. So, okay. So then you know after we added the hops and we cooled the the wort, we added it to our fermenter, added in our uh, added in our yeast, and like he said, it has been fermenting. So after it went through, I think it was seven days of fermenting. It was ready to be moved over to the secondary. So the secondary is where we decided to add our fruit. So we took pomegranates, which again was a new thing for us. Adding actual fruit to a beer is a, is a new uh, new thing for us. So you have to actually pasteurize it. So we just kept it just under a boil, because you don't want to boil it, uh, but just under a boil for about 20 minutes, and added it to the secondary fermenter. Um, we'll see if uh, the seeds from four pomegranates gives the appropriate flavor, which we, uh, which we think uh, we, we think was uh, accurately gauged. But right. I guess we'll see soon. Well, it definitely was the seeds from four pomegranates. But you know, I tried it actually today before I came over, and that's where I said I cheated a little bit. Okay. Uh, took a quick sample. The gravities are right where we expect it to be. Awesome. The pomegranates didn't really come through a whole lot. Okay. Uh, it's still a little early in the secondary. All it is. We're about at the five-day mark right now, so right now, not yeah. overly, not a very overly long time. So no, that's true. All the pomegranates right now are white. Okay, which would tell me that all the all the juices are out of them at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they that that so that is uh, um, so this is our first time brewing this, and like we are, you know, saying. This whole time, and this year we're brewing one brew a month. But next year we want to refine some recipes. And so this, if if we go through and we do this secondary, and we find out it turned out to be a good wheat beer, but the pomegranates just aren't there, 
we know what to do. Add more. You yeah. know, take four pomegranates, maybe double it to eight pomegranates. Right. Or right. add pomegranate juice. Yeah. Or something like that, you know, some kind of concentrator puree to... Tr- there's a couple different ways you can inject those flavors in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're we're giving this a shot and seeing how this goes. Yeah, and, th- and this is uh, this one we're doing with all natural fruit. There's, yes. uh, there's a lot of recipes that call for extract. There's a lot of recipes that call for puree, like you were saying, or even a combination of both. Um, it was... Uh, it was a unique experience, kind of diving in just just with uh, with straight fruit. Yeah. Uh, the first time about, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. The, the the hearing that uh, that all the seeds had, had turned white, uh, yeah, would lead me to believe the same thing that uh, that you had mentioned that uh, the, the juices have been uh, kind of extracted out of it. Yeah. I guess I'll keep my fingers crossed and uh, hope some of, some more of that flavor absorbs over the next uh, several days before we uh, before we go to bottling. Yep, we'll see. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited about this uh, this recipe as a whole. This was really a great experience uh, putting together and. Uh, and doing fruit for a first uh, for a first time, and and knowing that uh, the possibilities with uh, similar recipes really has no end, you know. Absolutely. So another thing that kind of stood out about this recipe that we have not seen with others is typically when you put it into the primary fermenter and you add your yeast, about a day or two later you'll get a good amount of foam, sometimes to the point that it's trying to blow out the top, and you'll you'll get foam and you'll sometimes have hops in those fo- in that foam and whatnot then within a day or two that foam will go down to a manageable level what happened with the wheat was it went up and it foamed up and it stayed there the entire time that is unique yeah, we we've, we've not seen that it's it's not unnatural for a beer to foam up a lot during fermentation especially when you have a good yeast and you have a good uh, have a good fermentation going yeah. the activity within that yeast will definitely cause that liquid to to bubble up but the thickness of those bubbles and the fact that they just never went down is something we've never seen before right it, it was to the point that after seven days of it fermenting and that foam being there when we moved it over to the secondary we moved it over with that foam still being there and so we think that that is attributed to the wheat being in the recipe. And like I said, those gluten and binding agents, the rice hulls took out most of that, made it uh, workable for the wort and such, but didn't take out all of that, which I think is important for the for the beer. If it took out all of that, that would probably take away from the beer. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, but the fact that those were there, I think is what caused that to foam up and just stay there. Yeah. 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 So that's something if you guys are if you guys decide that you want to brew a wheat beer, be aware of that. Uh, take that into account. Leave some extra room in your in your carboy or your or your fermenting bucket. Um, but don't don't freak out about that because that is kind of a normal thing when it comes to wheat beers. Yeah, yeah. This is one we'll definitely be be doing uh, doing repeats of. So. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, and, and with other recipes too. I don't know if if other elements other than wheat uh, produce a similar effect or not. But uh, yeah, it was it was a unique uh, unique part of this recipe. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, we're in the secondary right now. Uh, we expect a bottle probably within the next five. Five days, probably. Five days. Yeah. Probably. Um, after that, well, they'll probably rest for uh, for about another seven days, and uh, we'll have a uh, more formal taste test and uh, and see just kind of 
uh, whether or not four pomegranates was appropriate for a five-gallon recipe, or if, uh, or if uh, there's other parts of uh, part of the recipes that uh, that we'll be tweaking or not. Since we, since this is our first episode, and do we want to take a quick moment and talk about the other recipes that we have brewed this year? Just real quick. I'm going to have to talk to the sponsor about that um, and the uh, the, the uh, head producer. I'm not sure if that's uh, this okay. I'm ignoring him. So the other wow, wow! I just got put in my place. Wow! The other recipes that we've brewed this year, just to give you guys an idea of where we're coming from, what we're kind of going towards. Uh, we did. We just got done with an IPA, uh, bottled it. We're actually trying it kind of for the first time tonight um and it it, it is a, a hoppy like you would expect an ipa to be and it is uh it's actually turned out pretty well we're pr- pretty happy with it um the the one we did before that was a belgian triple if you guys aren't familiar with the, f- the style it tends to be a higher alcohol content lighter uh in color and uh much more foamy and high highly carbonated right uh, and that one turned out uh, very well. It's it, a lot of people have described it as a Belgian beer that's not super Belgiany that you can drink a, a, a couple of. And actually, we got some pretty good reviews when we entered it into a contest. We did, we did. Yeah, it was rated well uh, on a on a scale of uh, of one to fifty. Um, we we did get 32. a positive. Uh, th- yeah, th- thirty two, I believe, uh, what yeah. it was, and. Um, they're they're strict judges in this uh, in this uh, in this competition. So uh, a 32, we really felt uh, felt felt very po- uh, positively about, especially uh, being one of our first all grain recipes and our first all grain recipe used yeah. uh, with with this Belgian. Um, I guess uh, another story about it. Uh, we we took a growler of this uh, Belgian to a uh, to a brew club uh, a meeting that we attend regularly uh, just within the past couple of weeks. Um, this growler was empty very quickly, as it <laughs> proved to be quite a hit with uh, with our uh, with our fellow club members, the, which was which was very exciting. For those of you that don't know, uh, a growler is sixty four ounces, yes. so it's half a gallon. So they they went through half a gallon in no time at all, and that's yeah, that's that's kind of a rarity in some of these some of these because that's you know. very true yeah because you have a lot of beers that are going around very quickly there's a there's a lot of uh, beer that's uh, drank very quickly and there's not a whole lot of beers that are uh, come back to for for seconds and yeah. this one proved to be uh, to be a repeat which is very exciting for us so and uh, and it's an enjoyable one uh, we're uh, we're having a little sample of it uh, right here and uh, yeah it's pretty great yeah so so yeah, so that's uh, so we're gonna have other ones coming up here uh, in next episodes. And we are. So, we are. Um, that is our uh, wheat uh, wheat pomegranate recipe, and uh, we'll we'll see how that comes out. Uh, look forward to uh, mentioning on the next episode just uh, how it comes out, and uh, and talk about our next uh, next recipe, which a uh, little preview is going to be an amber ale. Okay, segueing to our to our uh, last uh, last topic, uh, we're gonna talk about the future, uh, and uh, we're gonna talk about uh, a couple things we've learned from uh, last uh, last couple of uh, batches, and uh, some tips that uh, you as homebrewers out there can uh, can apply to uh, your uh, next or uh, or uh, future uh, beer or uh, brewing experience, uh, and. Uh, 
kind of facts that we've that we found uh, valuable. Uh, we've got a plethora of um, of uh, things we've uh, we've learned that uh, we'd like to like to share with you. So uh, stick with us. Okay, we are in Darien, Illinois. This is a nice place to live, and it's a nice place to brew. And uh, welcome back. I am Jason. This is George. Uh, we are mo- moving into our third segment, where we're going to talk about the future. And the future in this, uh, which we uh, hope to be more beneficial not only for our brews, but for everybody else's as well. And in moving towards that, uh, we thought we'd use this segment to talk about uh Things that we've learned from uh, from our current or past recipes that uh, that we'd like to uh, like to share with everybody and uh, impart a little bit of found knowledge. We have a couple of things we'd like to uh, to talk about here, and uh, as a starting point, we are going to talk about a term that uh, gets thrown around a lot um, in the brewing game, and that term is gravity. 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 I'll tell you when we first started brewing. It, this was the black box of beer brewing for me. This was the, the you know, I, I looked at it and I was like, you know, I was super frustrated saying, what the hell is gravity? What What is this? And it took me a while to figure it out. And once you figure it out, it's not so bad. It is a confus- confusing concept on the surface. Yeah. Because, and part of it is there's a calculation towards it. And it's it's a bit of a weird calculation because in the end, what you get is your alcohol by volume, and we'll we'll get into that when we uh, when we talk later on. Um, but there there's there's numbers that play into it that where you wouldn't kind of naturally uh, put your thought process towards it. So yeah, it is it, it is a slightly confusing concept when you first walk into it, but it's a key one because there's sure. many parts of of uh mashing and fermentation where uh where where the gravity readings really you know cre- uh create a central point in both of those processes so gravity at its quintessential like center is density is how much sugar content do you have in your beer so to put this in perspective standard water like tap water distilled water has a gravity of one okay i'm um, actually learning this for the first time that the, the water has a gravity of one that's 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 excellent that's a great reference point water has a gravity of one so everything you do from there in is based on that so to let's okay so let's talk about this in comparison to the beer that we just brewed okay sure so the beer that we just brewed it has a, it had a original gravity. In other words, before it was fermented, after it was boiled, it had a gravity of 1.050. And so this gravity, in comparison to zero, in comparison to one, was the uh, was how much sugars and how much increased density the the beer has. So you'll find this a lot, like if you if you talk about the various densities of liquids, like if you look at oil, oil has this super high density. So 
the usual scales you would take to figure out the density of oil or something like that is not applicable here. We're talking about very small changes in density to, to figure out what the gravity of this is. So the changes from standard water to our boiled wort was from 1 to 1 1.050, which when you're talking about gravity is a lot of times people will drop the decimal point and so for 1.050, you'll hear them call that 1050. Right. And so that's kind of how these things are referred to. And if we end up referring to that later on in the shows, um, just be aware of that. If, if it's 1.050, mm-hmm. the standard nomenclature for that is 1050. So Good then point. we then ferment the beer. Right. That, that's that, that's a nice key point because where the equation goes is to a final gravity, and between the original gravity and final gravity is the fermentation process. Right. And the the key that happens to the fermentation process, what it boils down to is this. You add yeast to your liquid, you seal off the liquid, and throughout that, the yeast eats up all the sugars that, that it can come in contact with. Right. So it'll eat up as much of the sugar as it can and turn that into alcohol. Correct. And as that turns that into alcohol, it decreases the density of the liquid. So then when you take your reading at the end, after it comes out of the fermenter, you may get, you usually get a reading around like 1.010. And so then that's what's called the final gravity. So you can, can take the original gravity minus the final gravity and you'll get another number. You'll get a very small number. Then you multiply that number, and this is where things get a little mathy. And this and is confusing. an odd. This is an odd number that it just kind of uh, idles by itself. It's just kind of its own standalone number. There's no reference. I'm uh, sure there's to some attached to it. Super chemistry reason for for why this is the case. Right, but but, but what being was the number? Is one thirty one? One hundred and thirty one. Yes. So using the one point zero five zero that George had mentioned before, or in brewer's terms, 1050. Right. Uh, let's just use that number for an example. And uh, let, let's say we have a good, healthy fermentation that brings our uh, beer down to 1010 as a final gravity. So you would take the difference with that, which brings you down to a uh, number of 40, right. which you would multiply by that 131. And doing that quick math, you have a alcohol by volume of roughly about 5.2%. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, it, it, when, when Jason was saying 40, though, it's actually 0. 0.04. Uh, 10.50 minus 10.10. Right. So 0. 0.040. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that way, when you multiply that out times 131, right. you get that 5. Uh, four, I think you said exactly, uh, which he can math in his head a whole lot better than I can. So I trust him on that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I can, all a lot. Better. I can't. I, my brain can't do a whole lot, but I can. I can run quick calculations pretty well. Yes. No, absolutely. So, um, so here's the thing, guys: is that gravity. A lot of times, you want, you do target a gravity around like ten ten or 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 ten zero nine. Um, 
but that's not always the case. Uh, to to harken back to our IPA, that we purposefully did a little bit fuller body. It is a eight percent alcohol uh, by volume, so it's a little bit higher alcohol, but it's a little bit sweeter uh, to counteract a little bit of the bitterness as well. Correct. So our final gravity on that was a little higher. I think it was ten twenty, if I remember correctly. So that's one point zero two zero. So don't take this as the final gravity has to be a certain value and the original gravity has to be a certain value. Different styles of beer, different flavors of beer are going to have different figures that they will target towards. Mm-hmm. So that, That's a good point. And with it, with it relating back so closely to alcohol by volume content, you have so many beers that have different estimated uh, alcohol by volume contents. As you mentioned, IPAs can be mid sevens to you know into the tens, where your pilsners will be four to five. Right. It's just a matter of, of of what you're making, and each of those styles will have, like you said, different goal amounts. So uh, I think the uh, the lesson to take away is um, pay close attention to what those uh, what those numbers should be uh, on the onset from what your uh, from what your recipe uh, shows. And uh, and have those targets in mind throughout your uh, brewing process, through your mashing process, and through your uh, through your fermentation process. For sure. Yeah. So the the last thing that I want to recommend uh, that I want to mention about gravity. Um, oh no! Hang on, it just jumped out of my head. Come back, George. <laughs> Come back. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah. So the last thing I want to mention about gravity was how to measure it. So that's how, important. Yeah, how to measure <laughs> gravity is um, by use of a device called a hydrometer. It looks a little bit like um, if you've ever seen a floating thermometer or anything like that. It's a bulbous, uh, usually glass device um, that has a, a a a little bit of a bulb at the end and a thin tube going up. And so what you do is you you, you harken back to your high school chemistry days. You take a sample of the beer or the unfermented wort and you put it in a cylinder, a graduated cylinder, just like you would have back in good old high school. You take this hydrometer and you drop it in the cylinder and then you measure it right on the meniscus. If if any of you remember that, you measure it right there. And whatever that number reads, that's what your current gravity is. So if you're measuring it before it goes into the fermenter, that's your original gravity. If you're measuring it as it's coming out of the fermenter that's your final gravity and that's how you come up with those numbers so the that hydrometer is a very important device for your average home brewer and there are other ways more advanced ways to measure those figures but um, this is the most accessible and is uh, the one that we still use to this day as far as figuring out what the gravity of the beer is. And it's so easy to use, too. I mean, all it is, I mean, it's a graduated cylinder, and then just one thing that you uh, you uh, throw into that graduated cylinder along with the liquid, it's as fundamental to use as anything you could, you know, come across throughout the brewing process. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things that you can say about it. You can say, you know, I just want to make beer. I don't really care how specific it is. I don't care how the alcohol content is. I just want to make something. Feel free. Absolutely do that. 
but there, you know, when you when you start to want to adjust recipes or you start to want to uh, talk about it with other people, um, that's when these kind of figures come into play. And you know, being able to talk about it and say, I had an original gravity of this, a final gravity of this. I wanted to make these kinds of adjustments moving forward. You know, those that's when people are going to be able to help you and and suggest things to you as far as what you can do to, uh, to you know, the next time that you make that or anything like that. So, let's throw an ex- an example of that just from a recent batch that we've had. I'm trying to remember back to kind of a batch where we had some struggles with either an original gravity or a final gravity and and kind of how we uh, how we had uh, modified that. Now we're very diligent about monitoring our gravity readings very appropriately and it's and it's important for all the reasons that we've that we've discussed uh, discussed to this point um, I'm trying to remember have we had an original or final gravity that really did not match what uh, what we had uh, what we yes. had expected it was an experimental batch a one gallon batch that you actually weren't involved with. It was just something I did on a whim one day. Okay. I made a porter uh, as a one-gallon batch, and my gravity was way off. And when I say way off, instead of 1.05-something, uh, I think it was 1.040 or something like that. So it was like, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when you're talking about gravity ratings and things like that, remember we're talking about a very small scale. And, and those kinds of adjustments really do make a difference. And let's put that into context real quick. Uh, the The effect of that difference between the 1.050 and that 1.040, which was the uh, resulting reading, uh, resulted in just less sugars being extracted out of the grains yes. that were used in the original part of that, uh, that recipe. And as a result, when you have that lower sugar content, you have less sugar that yeast can eat and uh, your alcohol by volume is going to be affected and the entire fermentation process is, is as well. That's a good example to bring up. Yeah, and it, it, it led it into other discussions as well because knowing that plus how it turned out because it turned out a little bit thinner than it should have for the style. Okay. Um, let uh, you know, some of our homebrew home club friends um, give me some suggestions on what we can do next time to try to tweak that recipe and change how we made the recipe in order to make that better. So that's a, it's a very good reason why knowing those gravity readings can really be helpful with moving forward. Very true, very true. And to know your local homebrew club as they can be a great resource and, uh, and uh, can be some uh, valuable lo- uh, minds as far as to getting different views on your uh, on your beers and uh, and uh, what you can do uh, going forward. Uh, me and George belong to uh, two different ones ourselves and uh, can speak to just how valuable their uh, their insight has, has been. So Absolutely. I'll definitely echo that uh, wherever you are. If you're in, here in Chicagoland or if you're outside uh, uh, anywhere in the U.S. or even outside the, uh, the U.S., uh, hello to wherever, <laughs> wherever you are <laughs> for whoever, whoever's listening. But um, if you're not in a homebrew club, um, I would greatly encourage it. Um, just Absolutely. As, as, just to have an avenue where you can share ideas is really, really valuable uh, throughout the process because you can read um, any, uh, any volume of content out there, but um, 
from my experience, just having another person to talk to, to share experiences with, you know, share successes and failures goes way beyond what you're going to read in a book. Yeah. And if you make something and you try it and you say, this is horrible, take it anyway, take it to the group, have them try it because Okay, this may not be true across this the board. This is a great. This is a great point to bring up, and this is yeah. important for for any listener. Out this there. may not be true across the board, but every homebrew club that I've encountered, I've encountered probably half a dozen since we started. I have yet to meet one person throughout the entire process that has been arrogant, has been, uh, you know, not helpful or anything like that. Very the true. homebrew club group is just such a welcoming environment so if you did something and and it came out poorly take it and they can help you with what you did wrong in a non-confrontational type way and give you some pointers on how you can make it better that's a great point and i'll i'll echo that absolutely yeah there there's not been a uh, voice has been unfriendly and there's not been a voice has been unhelpful it's it's been it's been both both of those and you know you know the the experience i mean as a whole has become just that much more positive for both of us yeah because of that and our beer has been helped because of it as well absolutely which has been great that's a that's a perfect note to close close out on as well yeah share share your beers uh with uh with your uh, local community uh find uh find your uh, local homebrew and uh and uh and grow from there and uh well, uh, that uh, brings us to the end of our first show. Uh, we'd love to keep in contact with you. Uh, we have a uh, website that's being uh, built right now under the website uh, uh, niceplacetobrew.com. Uh, we have a, a Twitter handle, uh, which is at niceplacetobrew. Uh, we will be uh, tweeting on that, and we're even opening discussion for live tweeting our next, uh, next brew. Uh, we'll, we'll keep the details uh, up on Twitter as far as the, uh, as far as the progress of that. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, find us on Facebook. A nice place to brew uh, is uh, is what to search for on Facebook, and uh, we'll be putting out uh, other avenues uh, as well. Uh, the main uh, main areas to listen to the show again uh, through uh, iTunes and uh, and Stitcher. Uh, we will have uh, other uh, links to uh, to share with you uh, as the episodes progress. Um, thank you, thank you so much for uh, for joining us for our fir- first episode. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look uh, forward to uh, to uh, to future episodes. So, as our sign off, cheers. cheers.